I still vividly remember my first missions trips to India in the early 90s. Wow, I, I learned so much about deliverance during those times. I remember flying into Chennai Airport, uh, going through customs there, and see a whole pile of kids there waiting uh, to beg for, for money. And the realisation hit me that a lot of those kids were grossly disfigured by their parents because the disfigurement somehow they thought would qualify them to be better at begging. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm so thankful that I serve a loving God who doesn't break my arm just so he can demonstrate that he can heal me. We saw hundreds of people saved. Uh, we saw hundreds healed. We planted new churches. Uh, miracles were really common. And on reflection, I think mainly because the majority of the sicknesses that we dealt with were caused by demonic influences. So when we cast the demons out of people, uh, they were just immediately healed. The people we were ministering to were mainly Hindus. And as many of you would know, Hindus worship some two million demon gods. So when we broke the influence of the demonic over them and they asked Jesus to come into their lives, everything changed. So we saw blind eyes open. We saw deaf people regain their hearing. Um, We saw people with twisted, deformed bodies as we prayed in the name of Jesus, just get healed. We saw people um, delivered. Uh, it was just, it was amazing. Uh, on reflection, I found that the people that we were ministering to, in the whole, mainly, had become like and were inhabited by the gods they served. And that is true of us today. Uh, People live their lives according to how they experience and view God. If they think that God doesn't care about them, they won't care about God. If they think that God is angry and harsh and unforgiving like the Muslims who serve an angry God, they'll become angry and harsh and unforgiving. So we need to make sure that the God we serve is not some little concept of God that we have dreamed up to suit our lifestyle or the lifestyle of others. Uh, We need to make sure that we believe in and serve the one true God, the creator of the universe, the one who gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in our place so that we could come to know him. So the question this morning is, what is your concept of God? What is he like? Because that will determine how you live your life and how you face eternity. I want to talk this morning to you about one of the characteristics of God. And that's one that will totally change the way you view God and the way you live your life. And that is the goodness 
of God. So, question. How do you know that God is good? We've all heard people say God is good. We've heard people say God is good all the time and we've chanted it back. But when, it, when push comes to shove, how do you know that God is good? How would we find out? Well, uh, we could look to our own experience and the experience of others and their dealings with God. Uh, when I was born again, I cried out to God. He poured out his Holy Spirit on me. Uh, I was healed. My hand was healed. And from that time onwards, I knew without a shadow of doubt that God was good, that he loved me. He had a plan for my life. It was just something that is ingrained in me. It's something that's happened to me. It's something which I've never doubted. And that view of God for me personally has not changed over the last 46 years. But everything I've seen, everything I've studied, everything I've experienced reinforces that initial encounter with God and reinforces the fact that to me, God is good. But we can't just always compare ourselves and our experiences because our view of life and our view of God can sometimes be biased or warped. Douglas Adams tells the story of how in 1976 in Cambridge, UK, he was early for his train, so he went, bought a newspaper, bought a coffee, bought a sample pack of cookies. Uh, the train station was pretty busy, so he sat down at a table and he sat next to a gentleman uh, who was dressed in a, in a suit and tire and looked a nice guy. So Adams is drinking his cup of coffee and he hears the unmistakable rustle of cellophane and he looked across the table and there's the guy that he sat down next to helping himself to one of Russell's biscuits. He thought, you've got to be kidding. I didn't invite this. So Adams reaches across, grabs one of his cookies and stuffs it into his mouth and gives them the evil eye. <laughs> Carries on drinking his coffee. A few minutes later, he hears the cellophane again. Looks across the table and there's the guy helping himself to a second one. He couldn't believe it. So he looks at him, stares at him for a moment, and then reaches over and grabs another cookie. This went on a number of times until finally he realized there was only one cookie left. And the guy pushed the packet of cookies towards Adams as if to say, here, you have the last of your cookies. So he grabs the cookie, grabs the packet, throws the cellophane down, and gets up in a huff grabs his paper, and there under his paper was his packet of cookies <laughs> unopened. All the time, all the time, he had been eating another man's cookies. His view of the situation was completely misguided. He didn't have all the facts. He had misinterpreted the other man's ownership and motives. And sometimes in life, we think God is less than gracious or generous, less than good, when in fact, we are the ones who are 
eating God's cookies. Now, we can't rely on just our own experiences to determine whether God is good. But we also can't rely on other people's experiences as well because they're in the same situation. I heard of a pastor who desperately wanted to be part of the building program in his church. And so he begged the builders to let him do something. And so after the builders had finished one day, the, the chief foreman came up to him and says, Okay, pastor, I know you want to help. Um, we need 100 pieces of 4 by 2 cut to 2.5 meters. Can you do that tonight for us? And the pastor thought, piece of cake. So he gets out the tape measure, measures the first piece, scribes it off, cuts it, takes that piece of wood, measures it against the next piece of wood, scribes it off, cuts it, takes that piece of wood, measures it, scribes it off, cuts it. hundred pieces of wood later, he's finished. And then he realises that the last piece of wood that he's cut is 100 millimetres shorter than the first piece because every time he cut, not being experienced, he didn't allow for the saw width and he was cutting the pieces a millimetre short every time. And that wouldn't make any difference really for one or two pieces but where you're measuring against each piece of wood, eventually 100 pieces of wood down, he's 100 millimetres out, just wasted a hundred bits of wood, approximately two and a half metres long. And the reality is, that's what we do in life. We measure ourselves against ourselves, or we measure ourselves against other people, when really we need to be measuring ourselves against the plumb line. And the only sure plumb line that we have is God's word. So we can go by our own experiences, and that's, that's okay. We can go by what other people have said or what other people are, are doing, and that's all right as well. But the underscoring, underlying, benchmark, plumb line, measuring stick is God's word, the Bible. And this is what the Bible says. Nahum 1 verse 7, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Psalm 118 verse 1, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Aren't you pleased about that? It doesn't just say that the Lord has goodness or does good. It says that God is good. It's in his nature. When Moses in Exodus was talking to God about going into the promised land, Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, we aren't going to go. So God says, okay, you've found favor with me. So I will go with you. Then Moses asks God an amazing thing. He says, God, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence, and I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now the Hebrew word, for glory means weight, mass, substance. So what Moses was asking God was, God, show me who you are. God, 
What are you made of? What's your essence? And God responds by saying, my goodness will pass by you. He is good. His very nature, his very essence, his very being is good. He's not good part of the time. He's good all of the time. Psalm 119 verse 68, you are good and what you do is good. What he does in goodness flows out of who he is. Now some of you will be and get confused by some of the events in the Old Testament and um, how much weight are we supposed to put on some of these and what's happening there and everything else. But you need to recognize that there is a progressive revelation of the person and character of God through the Scriptures. Starting at Genesis and going through to Revelation, there is a progressive, ongoing revelation of who God really is. God's actions in the Old Testament build towards the point where he no longer has to punish sinners with deaths for their sins, but can offer forgiveness through Jesus Christ. I agree with Bill Johnson when he says that the Old Testament tells us that we're living in a world that was created for man to dominate, but a place where mankind has handed authority over to the devil through our willful disobedience. Therefore, a lot of bad things happen that were not God's original intended plan. The Old Testament reveals the severity of sin. It exposes the absolute hopelessness of humanity to save itself. It shows us our need of a saviour and points to Jesus as the only possible solution to our lost condition. Jesus said, pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done. Do you know why he asked us to pray that? Because the kingdom of God has not come in its entirety on earth as it is in heaven. We are in a battle. Jesus tells us that we're in a battle against powers and principalities. You'll notice that when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, the devil offered him all the kingdoms of the world. If Jesus would just bow down, and worship him. The devil wasn't offering him something that wasn't real. Because the devil has authority over the kingdoms of the earth. Because mankind gave it to him when mankind disobeyed God. But the New Testament reveals God's nature through Jesus Christ. John 14, 9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know how God would act in a situation or circumstance, if you want to figure out whether God is good or not, have a look and see how Jesus acted in situations and circumstances. If someone rang me up and said, Pastor, I just feel that I need to tell you that the sickness that you are suffering has been given to you by God to teach you to trust Him. How would I respond to that prophetic word? Well, I'd go and I'd study the Word of God. I'd pray 
I'd ask God what he thought of that. And the funny thing is that when I study the Gospels, I can't find any example of Jesus giving a disease to anybody. In fact, his lifestyle was the opposite. So this word to me contradicts the examples of Jesus' known works. So I would reject that word to me. I wouldn't reject the person, but I'd definitely reject the word because it doesn't reflect who God is. A number of you would have heard a number of years back of how uh, there were groups standing up and saying, and they said it on the media, that the earthquakes that Christchurch experienced were the result of sin. So Christchurch had been so wicked that God was punishing Christchurch uh, with Christchurch's sin with earthquakes. So, so how do you respond to something like that? Is it true? I mean, could it be? So how do you find out? Well, you pray, you ask for discernment, you get into the Word of God, and when you look to the Word of God, you'll find that God's response to sin today is the cross of Jesus Christ, not earthquakes. And so you've got to measure the goodness of God, or you've got to measure who God is with how Jesus Christ lived and died. In fact, it says in James 1.16, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. James, the one who wrote this verse, was writing to the Jewish Christians who had been scattered throughout the Mediterranean uh, world because of the persecution. They were living and they were dying for their belief in Jesus Christ. They were going through trials, they were going through problems, they were going through temptations, and because of the pressure that was on them, some of them were losing sight of who God is. So in his letter to them, helping them put their faith into practice, James says, don't be deceived. Every good gift comes from our Heavenly Father, and he doesn't change. He doesn't have a bad hair day. He's not good one day and grumpy the next. He doesn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. He doesn't have a time of the month. He is consistently good all of the time. And that is so important to us because if things are going wrong in our lives, don't blame God. That's what the ungodly do. You see on the insurance form, acts of God. And they're all the bad things, never the good things. A lot of time, the problems that we face are the direct result of our own foolish actions and choices. Other times, it's the enemy. And other times still, bad things happen because we are living on earth, not in heaven. And there's a difference. When you study the scriptures, you'll find there was a difference between what was happening in the Garden of Eden... And what was happening outside of the Garden of Eden? In fact, God told Adam to go and subdue the land. 
to reign, to conquer. And that tells me that it needed to be subdued. It needed to be changed. It needed to be conquered. The Garden of Eden was different. And God wanted the culture of the Garden of Eden to be spread out over the whole earth. And he planned to do that through people. But we blew it. When times are tough, that's when we need to remind ourselves what God is like and what he thinks of us. I'm absolutely convinced that our Heavenly Father, who only gives good gifts to his children, is far bigger, far more loving, far better than what we think he is. If it's not good, it's not from God. In fact, Jesus said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and you might have it to the full. We all need an ongoing, expanded revelation of the goodness of God. And what I've found over the years is that the more I get to know God, the closer I get to Him, the more I realize just how loving and how good He is. The more I see Him in action, the more my mind is renewed, so I begin to see situations and circumstances through the mind of Christ and not through uh, a filter, the more I realize that he's our good, good father and that I can trust him in every situation. And, you know, with that trust comes peace. And that peace is not dependent on the situations or circumstances that I will face in life. Psalm 27 verse 13 says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It was the hope of seeing the goodness of God in his day that kept the psalmist from hopelessness. God's people are to be known for their hope, regardless of of circumstances, perhaps more than most other virtues. God's goodness crushes despair, crushes depression, crushes hopelessness. And seeing his goodness releases the opportunity for faith in situation because we are designed to be carriers of hope and models of his goodness. This last week, earlier in the week, I was on my computer and um, two little kids came up to me and asked me what I was doing. And uh, I said to them, well, I'm actually preparing a talk for Sunday, and I'm going to talk about how God is good. And the five-year-old there thought for a moment, and he said, you know, you could say God is good because when we do bad things, he still loves us. And I thought, wow, we've got a pretty awesome children's church if they're teaching that sort of stuff. And then a few minutes later, he, he, said, he said, and you could also say that, that God is good because 
He always listens to us when we want to talk to him. I thought, out of the mouths of babes. Isn't that amazing? The, the, next, the next day, I had a lady come up and um, was telling me, a mature lady in the church, and she was telling me how she went up on the altar call on Sunday. And uh, she went up because she just really was getting frustrated because she has all these neighbors around about them, and none of them seem to be being influenced by anything that she was doing uh, that would show the love of Jesus. And so she came up in the altar call just to commit herself to the Lord and just asking the Lord for opportunities to break through in her neighborhood. You know, God's good because he listens to us every time we want to talk to him. The very next day, early in the morning, she hears a knock on her door and it's one of her neighbors and the neighbors were going through a difficult situation and they just wanted someone to talk with and someone to pray with. And she was able to share the gospel. She was able to pray with this person. God answers prayer. He sees our hearts. He knows the situation we're in. He's just waiting for us to cry out to him. And because God is good, he is ready to forgive all of our sins. When we do bad things, God still loves us. Psalm 86 verse 5, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Acts 2.21, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God's blessing, His grace, His mercy, His healing, His forgiveness are not based on our love for God. They are based on His love for us. And our love for Him can be sadly lacking at times. But His love for us never changes. When Mary and Martha sent that urgent word to Jesus when their brother Lazarus was dying, they just expected that Jesus would come and heal him. But Mary and Martha didn't say, Jesus, the one that loves you is sick. They said, the one that you love is sick. They expected mercy from Jesus, not based on their love for him, but based on Jesus' love for them. He loved them and he loves us. In fact, John, 1 John 4, 19 reminds us that we only love God because he first loved us. John, the writer of the Gospels, the Gospel of John, and the three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, the one who rested his head on Jesus' lap at the last Sutter said, I write these things so that you won't sin, but if anyone does sin, we, that's including John, have an advocate with God, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. We need that because we fall short. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin because God is good and he loves us and we can't earn it. Let's have the musicians just come. Many of you here would have watched the film uh, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, if you haven't, it's about a group of soldiers who are 
sent on a mission to locate and bring back to the US Private Ryan. Uh, Private Ryan's three brothers were killed in war, so the US State Department ordered Private Ryan's return to his mother because they thought it was completely unacceptable that four of her kids should die in battle. In one of the last scenes in the film, the captain who has led the rescue team to find Private Ryan is dying on a bridge. And his last words to Private Ryan were, earn it. Earn it. In other words, men have sacrificed so that you can live now. Now make their sacrifice worth it. At the end of the film, you see a very old Private Ryan with his wife and family at the cemetery, and he's standing over the grave of this captain who had come to rescue him. And he turns to his wife, and he says to his wife, am I a good man? Did I live a good life? Did I earn it? You know, we can never, ever earn God's forgiveness. He gave us Jesus Christ to die for us. We can't earn that forgiveness, but we can make Jesus' sacrifice worth it by asking for and accepting his forgiveness and then living our lives in the light of his love and his goodness. We don't have to live our lives under the weight of guilt and unconfessed sin because God is ready and willing to forgive all sin. God loves us and sent Jesus, and we can taste and see that the Lord is good and live our lives appropriately. He loves us even when we do bad things. And he's always listens to us when we want to talk. The painting on the left side of the screen tonight is a painting by Holman Hunt. Penny and I saw that painting. It's in Westminster Abbey, I think. St. Paul's Cathedral. I stand corrected. It's in St. Paul's Cathedral. And it's quite high. It's, you know. But it depicts Jesus standing at the door of our heart and knocking. And the interesting thing is that if you have a look at the painting close up, you'll find there is no handle on the door. It can only be opened from the inside. And that's Jesus coming to us saying, hey, I want to be part of your life. I want you to open up to me. He's standing at the door and knocking. And the Bible tells us that if anyone will open that door to him, he will come in and he'll forgive them their sin and he'll start a relationship with him. God is good.
We can know that by our experiences and perhaps the experiences of others. We can know that by revelation. But we can also know it with absolute certainty because of the way that Jesus Christ lived his life and died for us. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning? the ministry team just to come and stand along the front and I just want to pray for people this morning just to anyone who needs that assurance that God actually loves them that he's a loving heavenly father I want to pray for just a breakthrough in your situation in your circumstances but also I want to pray for anyone who needs a breakthrough in their life if you need healing if you need restoration then It'll be our privilege to pray to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who loves us more than we can ever know. And I just want to see his presence fall and people touched and healed and restored, knowing that God is good. And he's good all the time. Amen? Amen. And I'm going to get you to pray for me too. Um, tomorrow I go into hospital. And so I'm going to be out of action for eight weeks. So uh, pray for Penny. Uh, if ever you wanted to step up to the plate, you want to do that over the next couple of months. Um, so I'll be in hospital for a week and then I'll be at home uh, convalescing for another seven weeks. And what I really want is a uh, miracle healing that um, so that after after two weeks I can go fishing. But I can face this, and it's you know it's a fairly major, a major situation. I can face this with absolute peace, knowing that my life is in God's hands. I was talking to a anaesthetic technician uh, before the service, and he was telling me the way that you go into it. Um, surgery is very much uh, the way that you come out of it in terms of peace. If your blood pressure's all over the place, he said that'll be reflected. You'll be fighting the anesthetic all the way. And I just thought, hey, I have the supernatural peace that God is with me. He is good all the time. He has never left me. From the day I came to know Him, every experience that I've had shows me that God is good and we can trust him even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death amen it's always it doesn't matter about the situation or the circumstances he is always with us and people it's it's in situations like this the rubber meets the road it's when things are hard that you need to know without a shadow of a doubt the God you serve and he's good and he's good all the time amen so if you would value our prayers 
uh, why don't you why don't you just come and uh, stand with us and um, we'll pray with you and pray for you